Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Dungeons & Dragons podcast. This is your host, Bart Carroll, along with Shelley Mazenoble and Trevor Kidd. In today's episode, we continue our coverage of Dungeon Master Appreciation Month. First, we speak with Spencer Crittenden, Dungeon Master for the weekly Harmontown podcast. Then, Robert Aducci of the D&D Adventures League runs us through his Learning to DM seminar. Spencer had simply attended a taping of the Harmontown podcast back in 2012 when Dan Harmon asked for a volunteer from the audience to help DM a game on stage. Ever since, he served as the podcast's resident dungeon master. He's also appeared as such in Harmontown the documentary and as a potential roommate in the community episode VCR Maintenance and Educational Publishing. So, first of all, thanks for joining us on the podcast. We appreciate your time. And before we get into Harmontown and all of that, can we ask you how you first got into the game of Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I first started playing the game in like fourth grade. I wasn't reading like real fantasy stuff, but these Redwall books where there's like medieval forest creatures. I know those and books. They're, they're great. I, they really got me into reading. But my friends were all into them. And then one friend brought like the monster manual in one day. And it was it became our new obsession, and we just kind of like would pick monsters and draw them, and you know, eventually we would try and like do Dungeons and Dragons style things with adventures and stuff, but we would all just be monsters because <laughs> we only had the monster manual. <laughs> we hear so a lot of that. We, yes, yes, that seems to be a lot of uh, kids' first role playing book for sure, and one of their most favorite Dungeons and Dragons book. It's also lots of I'm going to be a dragon. Because yeah, because yeah. I can be. That's the coolest thing in this book. For me, it was always gelatinous cubes. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But how do you how do you talk to people's gelatinous cube? How you do you don't have how to. do you grab things? Like I don't. I just I just <laughs> squish down the hallway and devour everything. Yeah. Who it doesn't makes like it, that? It makes it a lot easier to uh, choose. That's true. Like, what do you do? I eat it. So there's yeah. always that kid. There's whenever you hear the story about how you got into D and D, and there's always and then. Somebody brought in the monster manual, and if you if that if you don't have that kid in your story, it's because you probably were that kid. There's always that kid. No, it's true. That's how I got into it. the The big kids on the block had the monster manual, and they were ogling the pictures of the nymph. Oh, oh. way to make it dirty, Bart. I see how it is. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Man, your wife if she ever found that, she'd be so upset. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So, and who would have thought that a little fourth grade Spencer playing the gelatinous cube in his fake D&D games would one day become this a dungeon mastering celebrity? So I mean, not me. <laughs> no. And I mean, Spencer, you have a really interesting story. And then obviously, like, we're, we're huge fans of, of Harmontown, um, the podcast and the movie. And Thanks. we were, we just, I mean, watching the... Watching Harmontown the movie one day, we were kind of like, "Man, we need to talk to Spencer. <laughs> this guy has like, on the show. I mean, you're kind of an inspiration to dungeon masters everywhere. So I know that Bart kind of talked about this in the intro, how you became um, the official game master for Harmontown. But in your own words, really, what was that day like? Like how how did this all happen for you? It was uh, really weird. It's it's hard to explain. It gets a little bit spooky because um, earlier on the podcast, I was just a fan listening, and they had made a couple references to D&D, and I remember the community episode of Dungeons & Dragons. So I was right. like, do these guys – do these guys want to play D&D? Are they hinting at playing D&D? <laughs> Which is sending insane. messages. They really were. And so um, I, I just came in the first day that I showed up um, was when they started talking about how they wanted to play D&D in earnest. And they 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 said we should play first edition. And then when they said that, like no one applauded and like two or three people groaned oh. in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> So, but they were like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I've been out of the loop for a while. Does anyone know what's up? And I kind of looked around and no one else seemed to know what's up. No one raised their hand or indicated they wanted to go up. So I slowly raised my hand <laughs> and, um, then they, they called me, called me up and I just answered some of their questions and they, 
they asked me if I wanted to. I guess I made a good impression because they just uh, asked me if I wanted to roll characters. And originally they were going to do this kind of rotating DM thing where I'd have a turn and then they'd get someone else from the audience to try and kind of do a sort of like a American Idol sort of thing, but for Dungeon Masters. But oh, I, nice. I, yeah, it, it, or it would be nice for other people. Yeah. <laughs> but as it happened, um, I, I tested so well, as it were, that they just decided to roll with me full time. <laughs> They're gonna keep you. Yeah, like, yeah we yeah. like you. We're gonna we're gonna keep you. So that was all from that one show that you went to. They decided they pulled you out of the audience, asked you a bunch of questions, asked you if you wanted to roll characters, and then kept you. <laughs> yeah, still, this is amazing. It, yeah, definitely. You're telling me it's it's a real it's a real Cinderella story, maybe. So this is going to be a hard question, but I have to know. Yeah. What kind of DM are you? Like, yeah. how would you categorize yourself? What, what what type of DM skills do you think you have, or your style that was like that made these guys be like, "Yep, we're keeping him." Um, I mean, in that, I don't think it was anything DM related that made me keep uh, made them keep me. I think it was just my on stage demeanor and kind of my ability to take punches and kind of roll with their dynamic without being too, you know, weird or anything. In general, I think my DMing style is kind of maybe you'd say like a softball style. I, I don't try and murder my players. I'm definitely on everyone's side, yeah. and I just want to tell neat stories. Okay. That is that is probably my my favorite kind of DM as well. That's my so. favorite kind of DM too. <laughs> but it's still it's I'm it's a still a weird story for me because <laughs> again, there are good dungeon masters. There are good dungeon masters who don't like are comfortable being in a group of 5. There are and then there's you, who's a really <laughs> good dungeon master who was totally okay getting plucked out of the audience for a podcast. And then going toe to toe with, I mean, Dan Harmon's not, he's pretty funny. There's, I mean, you have to really be able to hold your own. Do you have a theatrical background or you, do you, you're kind of watching you on, on um, Harmontown or listening to you. You're, I mean, you're really funny. How are you being this? You're not rehearsing in advance. You, this is not scripted. Or are you no. rehearsing? Or are you? Yeah. No, no, not even a little bit. I, I don't have a background. I don't have anything. I, uh, I people have told me I'm funny and that I have good timing, which I think accounts for most of it is when you say something that's not funny at a good time, it becomes much funnier. But also <laughs> just just the way I see I tend to talk is kind of uh, what do you call it? Deadpan. Yeah. So <laughs> when I tell a joke and it isn't funny and no one laughs, it just sounds like I didn't tell a joke. So that <laughs> it's still funny. Yeah. It makes it seem like my hit percentage is a lot higher than it really is. That really, is true. You really can't actually hear that. He learned all of his social and joke skills through D&D. So, uh, and you can too. <laughs> Pick up the newest Dungeon Masters guy. <laughs> I, I would think there'd be a level of terror involved. Even exactly. just Dungeon Mastering, you have to be a public speaker in front of three, four, five, six people as your players. But to do that in front of a live audience as well seems... Week after week after week. Beyond comprehensible to me. Oh, terror and beyond comprehension are definitely big pillars in my life. <laughs> it's I, I, I have a unique gift, I'd say, where when I am really stressed out or freaked out, I kind of just look like someone who's utterly calm. That's just I kind of just shut down and become like like a stone wall. And it just looks like I'm confident and calm, but I'm really just terrified and don't show it. And I think that that goes a long way for making it seem like I'm a lot more comfortable than mm-hmm. I truly am. It's probably better than those sleeping goats that just pass out when they get stressed <laughs> and yeah. collapse. I will, I will tell you, you share that same quality with Chris Perkins. Chris Perkins, oh, before yeah. we go to any of our live games, uh, sorry, Chris, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus or anything. Yeah. Um, uh, he he gets a good chunk of stage fright before we go out there, but like you could not tell it looking at him. He's just no. pretty stone faced. Yeah, I remember he said that to us. He was terrified going out on stage. Mm-hmm. What? You would never, never know that. But yeah, I am too. I mean, I get I get really I get uh, what do you call it? The butterflies in your stomach. I just feel oh, yeah. almost physically ill before shows. It's not That's ideal. That's what propels you. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like as a a player, if you say or do the wrong thing, you could just say, that's my player. That's my character. (laughs) My character is just not that intelligent. I mean, I'm not not dumb. Yeah. My my character's Uh, My character has really low charisma. Maybe I'm a little dumb. I'm sorry. You're not supposed to like my character. (laughs) 
that's but you can't really say that as the dungeon master because you're you know at the helm of the story. So were you dungeon mastering a home campaign before the Harmontown series, or were you also looking for a game yourself, or how did how was your DMing experience sort of in your personal life going on there? Not right at the t- time. I hadn't been playing for a while. Um, our group had kind of fallen by the wayside. Well, not exactly. Like We had a lot of games going on at multiple circles, but all those games were full, so I wasn't really playing at the time. But prior to that, I had been pretty much the full-time DM for most of, uh, for most of high school and after high school and college and stuff. So I'd been doing it a lot. We'd usually meet once a week and we'd usually carry on for about eight or nine weeks before we'd break for like a month or two and then start a new campaign. I had a lot of experience, but, um, I was, I'd just been working a lot lately and I've just been kind of, I had started working at Apple and that had changed the people I was with and my work hours. So I wasn't socializing very much leading up to, uh, appearing on Harmontown, as it were. So I didn't have a lot of immediate experience at the time, but I was kind of thinking and I was drawing up a couple maps here and there. I didn't end up using any of the maps, but I was drawing (laughs) them up, um, you know, just as practice. Yeah, just keep your mind sharp. Yeah. Keep those skills honed. So had had your group moved away from everyone is a monster, or was that still (laughs) very much a part of it? I mean, I was was the last holdout, I think. Usually people... (laughs) Uh, they wanted to carry on, but that's that's why being a dungeon master works out, is because you could be all the monsters. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. There's a, probably a lot of gelatinous cubes that show up in your games. So it still boggles Nothing me. Nothing but the, <laughs> That'd be the awesome. number one player choice remains human fighter. Yeah. <laughs> is that so? It, it is by by far by a, by a pretty wide margin. That seems to be the most popular um, class race combination and, and has been for a while, but yeah, I guess I side more with the dungeon masters <laughs> thinking, well, why wouldn't you want to be, I don't understand. Else? I've never played a human. I d- do that in real life. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you? I play, I play a human when, I, when, I, when well. I get bored, but the important lesson here is all you kids when that I are get... listening out there to this podcast, all you underage children who actually technically, I don't know if you should be playing D and D or not, but they should. you should be playing D and D. You're playing the monster and that's totally cool. Just keep doing that. And keep be, doing what you're doing. And you'll be awesome DMs. That's all there is yeah. to it. So do you have any fond memories of uh, being a dungeon master, either on Harmontown or in your personal campaigns? Any particular incidents or scenarios that stood out for you? Um, I guess in the like in home games, one of the coolest things I did was there was uh, like an alchemist was the big bad guy. And there is a point where they had wandered into the alchemist lab and there is all these experiments that were doing all sorts of weird stuff like living spells and, you know, uh, alchemy based zombies and all sorts of interesting stuff. And then at the end, there was a transmogrification chamber where um, weird stuff would happen when you would go inside. But people figured out that if they brought like if they put themselves in one side and put an object in the other side, they can kind of like fuse with it and gain their parts and gain their powers. So we had a player that fused with a crown of blasting and could shoot fireballs from (laughs) his mind and another one that uh fused with a bag of holding and so he could like hold anything in his stomach and just <laughs> he could couches. eat anything <laughs> yeah that is awesome man that is a good icebreaker question at parties now is what you know device would you want to meld with yeah <laughs> D parties specifically <laughs> yeah i also oh, love the uh, the word transmogrification yeah yeah. That doesn't come up very often. <laughs> Again, D&D, D&D conversations. You're, yeah, you're hanging out with the wrong <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah. Going to the wrong parties, Bart, man. <laughs> I, I remember it from Calvin and Hobbes, and I remember looking it up as a, as a reader of the cartoon, and, and it was it was a transformation into the monstrous. And I'm like, man, there's a word for that? That is, that's super awesome. That is cool. Yeah, I learned it from Calvin and Hobbes, too. I don't think I've read it anywhere else. Oh, <laughs> yeah. funny. So... Part of why Harmontown is so entertaining is because of the big personalities on the show. I imagine for a dungeon master, that's good and that's bad. But um, I often feel for you, like, how, how is he doing this? But, but how do you, as a dungeon master, give players the freedom to be creative and, but still managing to keep this game on track? I think that it, it kind of stems back when we... Back when we first started playing, we, it 
was a really loose version of playing. And then we kind of ebbed and flowed. Sometimes we'd play a lot of D&D and other times we wouldn't. But we did a lot of freeform RPG. I remember Pokemon was really popular, so we would like kind of role play as Pokemon. And then largely those <laughs> would just, you know, happen with no rules. And that just became my style. And I got really into learning all the books and reading all the books. And I would say I did that more than anyone I know. I read the books maybe 10 times through, whereas my friends would read them like once or twice through. And so I just would have this kind of almost encyclopedic knowledge of the rules. And so I would be able to easily on the fly translate between, um, you know, just people's intentions and actual rules. And that's just kind of stuck with me. And I think that's the way you want to do it because it's the most inclusive because you don't have to force someone to know exactly what a standard action is, for instance, if mm -hmm. they want to, you know, make one and just kind of keeping it open and using using the rules to kind of affect the things that you have to kind of leave to chance and make as part of the game opens up your options and makes people think of it less like a game, like a board game that's being played, but more like an interactive experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to think about it. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So speaking of these big personalities again, we all of course love the Have D &D. big personalities. Oh yeah, we do. Oh, you can tell, sorry, you can tell I thought that's where you were going. how much we hog the mic. Um, but no, um, uh, we all love the community episodes uh, for D and D. They're, they're yes. very awesome. Um, but given your history with role-playing games, did you have any insights or, or tricks to give to the cast and crew while they were doing those? Uh, not too much. I remember one of my biggest uh, – when I, when I was uh, consulting, if you will, on the second D&D &D episode, one of the biggest ones was I was – um, talking to Danny Pudi, who plays Abed, and telling him which dies or which dice to roll in which circumstances. <laughs> but um, and it, it was weird because in the episode, I don't know if anyone notices, but there's a couple die rolls that are definitely not the kinds of die rolls that should be used for <laughs> those specific checks. And those were shot before anyone thought to ask me. Oh, nice. <laughs> you do not use the D4. For your perception check, people. You, but I guess really sometimes don't. that's a trick for the DM. I'm just going to roll some dice. Because I already know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, the players sure. need to hear some dice rolling. Yeah, the more dice you hear rolling behind the screen, the more you know they're cheating. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Hold on a second. It's like rolling for like <laughs> 30 seconds. You do not need that many. I know. So, I feel like that just happened. And then you just you all die. Can we ask then how you seemed like a fit for the D&D &D episode, but you were actually in a different episode. You were a potential roommate for a couple of the, uh, the, the, the crew or the cast. How did you get into VCR maintenance and educational publishing? <laughs> that was a, it was a weird story. Um, there was, we were in the writer's room, obviously, and they were writing the script. And the script called for this Annie's brother character. And originally in the script, Gillian, who plays uh, Britta on the show, was supposed to be – like her character is always causing people problems and doing stuff she's not supposed to. And she's like a rebel. So early on it would be established that Allison didn't want Britta to sleep with her brother. And so the whole episode she would be like way fawning over him and stuff. And the character of Annie's brother wasn't really established. He was just kind of like a cool college age kind of guy. And that story wasn't really clicking on an emotional level. It just didn't really uh, have too much substance. And so then D Dan was rewriting it and he rewrote the character description as a tall, silent Viking man. And <laughs> oh my gosh. Nice. It wasn't supposed to be me exactly. But it but sounds exactly like you, Spencer. Let's yeah. be honest. It's like <laughs> no, a, tall, a tall Viking man named Spencer Crittenden. <laughs> but yeah, just in the room, it just kind of latched on and everyone caught on to the idea that it would be me and they would just be making jokes uh, in like my voice. Like, oh, I, I'm I'm over here. What happens when you die? And everyone was just laughing, and so it kind of carried over. And uh, it was really nice. They rewrote it so it was like entirely within my realm of experience, which isn't very much because I've never <laughs> acted or done anything like that in my life. Um, they made it really easy for me. If I remember the episode correctly, it wasn't D and D, but there was a game involved in it. One of the old VCR games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. they, oddly enough, they don't make those anymore. They don't make VCRs no. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those games, they, are, they were not a good idea. All right, fast forward to scene 22. Hey, hold on. <laughs> hold on a second. We're going to stop the game for a little bit. It's very fun. So Her this is, again is weird. I mean, you were, act, you were acting on a TV show, and you had no prior experience. Do you have a headshot now? 
Oh, uh, I don't know exactly how it works. I think everything's digital these days. I went <laughs> with a casting director and we made like a little uh, demo reel of me just doing some of the lines from the script. And that's, I think, how they do it these days is they take these little YouTube-esque videos and put them on these casting sites and oh. then they send them to whoever wants them. So I think that's how they do it these days. But I don't know. I think that was just maybe a formality. So are you going to pursue acting? Um, I'm not opposed to it. Okay. I don't really know what pursuing acting is. <laughs> I certainly am not trained for it. Um, I don't know how to get better at it and I don't <laughs> really know how to engage and try and find gigs, but I think it's possible. Well, I don't know. Playing D and D and dungeon mastering is kind of training for that because I mean, you are taking on the roles of different characters just love that you're in the middle of you're in the middle of a shoot or something. Like, hold on a second. Uh, do I have good perception? Do, is my, is my, wait, am I? What, what, what about? Am I good at deception? What die do I roll? Do I need, do for I need my to roll for this? Okay. <laughs> just just let me know what feats I my character. There we go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's. I think you're right. I think it, there is just a lot of. Uh, um, you know, overlap. There's been articles on the subject that like improvisation and comedy and acting has a lot of overlap with uh, Dungeons and Dragons and role playing. And that's some of the reasons why you see comedians and Vin Diesel and stuff playing D&D is just because they have similar skill sets required. Yes. Yeah, we always see that thing about, you know, well, always it's come up that the D&D is a secret handshake in Hollywood because yep. you'll be talking to someone and be like, I play d and like, oh, yeah, I play D&D too. Um, have you have you bumped into any of that? Uh, not too much in active D and D players. A lot of people know stuff about that, and there are pockets of people that are way into it. But I, I heard that a lot too. And it, I mean, not that I am, you know, out there schmoozing with <laughs> real celebrities, so I don't have that good of a, a grasp. But it seems like there are pockets, but they're kind of the people you'd expect, like uh, Patton Oswalt and stuff. Yeah. And everyone knows what D and D is but i feel like that's just kind of like a 2014 thing that everyone knows what D D is these days right. but yeah there are people that indicate that they have played stuff like joel McHale used to be really into top secret i think you know that yeah. spy sure. yeah yeah so there's stuff like that where people did stuff like they played warhammer fantasy role play or you know they played D D or or AD&D rather, um, back in the day. But there, I, I don't see too many people that um, actively play in groups, although I'm sure that does happen. Yeah, they're probably busy, you know, acting and stuff. Yeah. Suppose, yeah. suppose it might be difficult to stop and Pursuing bust, bust out your D&D games all the time. Yes. Yeah, well. it's tough. It's a, I mean, it's they, they do long shooting days. It's, it's kind of, it's not, you know, lifting bricks or digging ditches. But there is a grueling aspect to being an actor. And uh, I, even in the two days that I was on set, you kind of feel it. <laughs> there's a lot of downtime too, though, isn't there? That's the problem, I think, is that there's too much downtime. All you're doing is waiting for something to happen. And for me, that's a real nightmare. It's like you can't – I mean you could go over your lines and try and prepare and do different takes and stuff. But other than – that you're just kind of waiting for it to actually happen for the real thing to begin, and that's just a real hard thing for me to handle. That's our next market. We got to figure out how to get in there and get, get all those actors playing D and D in between there to dress their up bits. like a gelatinous cube, <laughs> jump out behind Allison Bree, like hey. Right. I'm so, attacking you. Roll your dice. So unfortunately, dressing up like a gelatinous cube means like covering yourself in Vaseline or something. It's not. Yeah. It's not that pretty. It's not how I picture it. Yeah. I need to see that costume. <laughs> yeah. Highly interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I, that's uh, pre pre preparation for acting, for preparation for dungeon master. And are there any tricks or rituals that you tend to uh, evoke or put into practice for yourself? Um, no real rituals. I always try and. I, I wish I could see the notes of other dungeon masters, like the real notes, not just the kind of, you know, uh, typed up treatments of the NPCs and stuff, because I only have my notes that just look like the scrawlings of a madman. It just says, <laughs> like, going to Rosebook, Mad Daravon. And, like, <laughs> you know, even two weeks later, I have no idea what that means. And so it's usually just kind of a rough flow of events with various details. Like it'll say city, um, you know, magic potion, guy who knows about castle. And then uh, under that, it would be like castle, court jester. And just, just a bunch of, you know, ideas in rough, rough um, chronological order. And I have a lot of thoughts that 
I, I do a lot of brainstorming just in my head before I write those little kind of notes out. It, but most of it actually ends up being in my head. And just if I have ideas for specific dialogues or specific lore or information I need to be revealed, that goes in verbatim. But other than that, it's just really, really brief kind of bullet point kind of aspects of campaigns and settings. The notes sound a little bit like if you're waking up in the middle of the night and you want to write down a dream or an idea you just had. That brilliant yeah. idea. And the next day, you're like, I, I don't know what this means. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that stuff sometimes, though, because what I end up doing is I'll write a note and it'll be for something important. And then I'll come back like two weeks later or whatever and I'll be like, all right, so we're starting the session to get in. And like, what was that? <laughs> okay, well, just... now it's this. Like, I just, whatever that thing I wrote I, now inspires me for a totally new idea that I didn't have the time before. Yeah, no, I never even thought about that, but it. It's probably, I mean, it looks completely different from the future, and that might be even a, like a more important inspiration than what you'd originally, originally imagined. Yeah. That's a great idea, though, for social media. We should ask some of our DMs out there to I'm doing it. Send as soon as, send as, soon as we get done with this, <laughs> oh, we want yeah. a computer doing that. Spencer, you're, you're Send first. Send in your you're notes. First up. Send <laughs> it to me. Hey, I really... I, I've always been the DM, so I don't really know how other people do it. I really crave, uh, you know, what do you call it, perspective on yeah. the whole yeah. DMing thing. If there's only some sort of guide, a dungeon master. <laughs> <laughs> it's a guide that dungeon masters could use. Well, we have our new column on the website, camp, uh, behind, the, behind, the, behind screens. the screens, which is right. dungeon masters writing about dungeon mastering and a little peek into how they prep for games and tricks that they use when they're running their, their games. But we should ask those guys to show, show some, some of their notes, too. Yeah, Rodney Thompson wrote the first one, and, and he admitted he uh, stole a bit from Chris Perkins, who probably borrowed a bit from from television, which was sort of uh, his structure mm -hmm. that he was using. So, yeah, it, it's always good to, to know what the other guy is yeah. doing. Yeah. And that's something that we do a lot. Like, I think there's a lot of begging, borrowing, and stealing from their DMs when you see when you see what they're doing. Uh, have you? I know you talk about your DM all the time. Have you actually uh, had a chance to watch the DMs, and, and is there anything from them, the, them that you might have stolen or um, borrowed? <laughs> I've been inspired like, by in in my friend groups, they've just I've been the only one willing to DM, and it's one of those situations where if you're going to play, you have to dungeon master the game. Yeah. So I really just don't see other DMs. I mean, I guess nowadays there's like uh, in store events, like you know what are those in D and D encounters? encounters? Yeah. Yeah. Good one, and, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, it's it's highly desirable as a as a product and service. I'd say. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> but like I, I should check out that. But yeah, in my friends and everything, I just you never see examples of real DMing. I, I actually read, you know, skimmed that article you were talking about by Rodney, and I read he posted a little treatment of his DM notes, and mm -hmm. I found that highly interesting. It was nice. way more thorough than anything I ever do, but it was it was a really interesting look. That's yeah. Hmm. We'll do more of that. So you tended Please to do. jot some notes down for specific adventures. Do you do any sort of large-scale campaign planning or sort of world building on your own, or do you tend to do that a little bit ad hoc as well? I, I, I do strokes of world building um, in my head, but a lot of it never comes to fruition. Um, I, the approach that I have is kind of maybe you'd call it a three-tiered approach where I have – the the immediate situation that the gang is in so like maybe they're in a city or they're in a dungeon and i have that really detailed and then i have my ideas of places it could go outside of that situation and so if they decide to leave the dungeon if they you know find that the dungeon is actually a secret passage to the underdark various things like that and then i have them moderately planned out and just kind of the broad strokes like oh if they go in here they're going to meet a guy and there's a dragon under a rock and then the third tier is just really broad strokes long term kind of plans so in the dnd um we played on the harmontown show um, there was this sky city that I kind of had in the background of my mind that I wanted them to go to the sky city. But outside of that, I really didn't have any idea of what that even meant behind <laughs> besides the term sky city. It's a guy named Orlando and uh, <laughs> various betrayals. But, uh, I'm not even sure we can talk about this on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, 
in the past, I've just had way too grand schemes of, you know, macro plots. Like one, there is a idea where the whole gang was going to find these artifacts and the artifacts turned into a time machine. And then the time machine would take them, you know, to just different ages and just kind of have, you know, an interesting backdrop for all sorts of random adventures. And they never even got to the time machine before the, you know, the game broke down. And there's another that back in three, five, there's that, what is it? Atropus that like, necromancy moon thing um it's what is it the exemplars of evil yes, or the el- yeah. elder evils? It's, it's either an elder evil, evils or exemplars of evil yeah. so it's a pretty high powered uh, villain yeah so i had the whole a whole campaign that was the idea was to slowly build up to that and you know the gang had seen uh a diviner who was talking about the shadows of atropus but you know it got maybe six or seven sessions past that point before that campaign died and so i've been trying to kind of cut down the scope of my uh, campaigns because they never seem to bear out you gotta put the time machine up front right away <laughs> yeah no, by the way time machine <laughs> so i was gonna say we were gonna ask you about some potential pieces of advice you might have for uh candidates that might be willing to take up the mantle of dungeon master or perhaps have been players and have been willing to take up the the, to go behind the screen to actually make that leap itself. Uh, it sounds like one of them might be uh, go ahead and, and put some of the, the ideas you want to get to a little earlier than later. Yeah, and just, I mean, you don't have to have the hugest scope ever. And, you know, scope is kind of can be different. It could still be a world-ending cataclysm, but be small in scope. Like, But it's if, if you want to uncover details of warring nations and then solve a piece or come to peace between them after handling their issues that's like you know maybe a potentially months and months long game but if you just talk about like a kingdom whose warring factions are this and that and it's just like a couple cities like that's just so much more handleable and it's the same story as it were it's just you know to a smaller scale but that's just one of them i'd say in general i think that dms should absolutely know the rules like the back of their hand and if they don't be able to pretend that they do to uh, an extent because I just there's been so many games where it's just like like, there's two people I'm the DM there's two players that are arguing for 15 minutes about a rule that I looked up 10 minutes ago and you just can't get in a word edgewise to keep the game going and those situations are the antithesis of fun and you just want to avoid that at all costs um it's kind of it's written in the books i think that a common a common guideline is to just make a rule up on the spot and go back to it later i don't i feel like people tend to ignore that for whatever reason but that's like the best snippet of text for a dm ever um beyond that i think it's important to prepare a lot, but not be married to your plans at any point in any time. You should have a firm grasp of all the stuff that you want to do. But if uh, your player or a character does something unexpected or does something that makes you think of a better idea, you shouldn't be afraid to go after that better idea that's on the table rather than try and eventually work everybody to your grand schemes. Because oftentimes they want to do the thing that they introduced, which is at odds with your grand plans. And it just ends up not working right if you just try and keep forcing them to go the way you want it to um there's those two yeah just knowing the rules keeping the game going and not being bogged down in rules disputes and being willing to um, listen to your players ideas and their thoughts of what the game is um just i think that goes most of the distance and oh and also when your your players don't or do something that doesn't really make sense like say there's an empty room and they do perce- perception to try and look at, look and search for clues. <laughs> and there's not supposed to be anything. Just, you know, maybe there's a voodoo doll or maybe <laughs> there's a drawn yeah. sketch of like a goblin. Just anything, you know, you don't even have to think about it at the time. You can go back at the end of the session and maybe try and figure out what that could mean for the future. But just to make it feel like they have a strong sense of agency and not that they're only supposed to do the thing that you had planned and nothing else that they want to do matters in the game. Yeah, we actually have, I mean, this harkens, harkens back to earlier editions too, but in the, in the new edition we, also, we have tables that like some crazy thing happens or here's this crazy yes, item and it's, it's, something like it's something you're talking about where it's just like, yeah, so you have, the, there's this candle that it never goes out. It doesn't ever melt. 
That's that's its magic. That's what you find in the room. Like, okay, that's interesting. I, I love the trinket that's table. Awesome. Yeah, it's just little tiny things that yeah. have a detail that you can just drop in. The black stone yeah. that's always a little bit warm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's good advice. Especially, I'm thinking about the game Trevor and I play in a game together. And I feel like we do spend an awful lot of time in rooms where there's nothing, but we're like determined to find it. I'm we constantly have a lot of party interaction where But I'm using we're my magic lantern. Are you <laughs> sure we don't see anything? You guys got to just leave something there for the next party then. <laughs> just let them find it. Let them That's find awesome. It. I'm going to yeah. paint this stone red and I'm going to leave it right in the middle of the room. It's going to be perfect. That stone, it's amazing. Well, that, that was extremely uh, helpful advice, and, and we're glad that you were able to come onto the podcast today with us. Uh, Trevor or Shelley, did you have any final questions before we let Spencer get back to uh, prepping for his own next game? Well, I don't, one more, yeah. only because I really want to make sure Spencer gets loved. Yes. So, Spencer, for us right now, it's, it's Dungeon Master Appreciation Month. That's what we've decided this month is, because <laughs> we can do that. Um <laughs> Uh, so do you have any tips for how players can appreciate their DMs or, or, you know, I don't know, self-serving how your players can appreciate their DM? (laughs) Um, I don't know, man. There's just, I feel, there's so, ah, wow. Put them on the spot with the last question. (laughs) It's hard. This is a hard question for dungeon masters. I feel like they all, I don't know. Well, because they're all too nice. They don't don't want to. They're just like doing such a service by even being a DM. You guys deserve to be appreciated. Is it like bring food to the next game? Just quit, put your phones away instead of... Stop you know, arguing about the rules. The rules. <laughs> if I say there's nothing in this room, there's nothing in the room. Please move on. I guess like two things is the first thing is uh, understand that the DM is trying to deliver an experience that's pleasurable and beneficial to the players even though it might seem like they're stroking their own ego and even though they might actually be stroking their own (laughs) ego i think you know the end result is they want to have a fun game and they can't have a fun game if the players aren't having a fun game so everyone has to just kind of agree to be on board the other thing is the most long-running games and gaming groups that i've ever heard of and people that i've talked to they always talk about that they have a rotating system where the DM gets a break. And so like sometimes they have it so there's two or three people who are DM DMs intermittently. And sometimes they have it that everyone in the group kind of takes turns uh, writing adventures and they just kind of cycle through. But really any way to just give them a break. Yeah. It's just no one wants to stop playing, but at the same time, it's just really hard. You're essentially writing an entire story every week if you, uh, you know, if you work through enough of the campaign yep. each session. So it's it, it's just really taxing to come up with new, dynamic, interesting ideas that aren't derivative of the last ideas you've had. Yeah, I like that one. That's a good one. Like, yeah. give your DM a break by DMing for a while, and then you'll yeah. enjoy the joys of. Of, of controlling everything and bossing people around and stroking your own ego. And then you can be appreciated. Exactly. And you need to be appreciated. It's, it's a whole circle. <laughs> we like this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, Spencer, thanks again for uh, spending some time with us, and we will be listening for you on the next Harmontown as well. Awesome. And where also can people find you if they want to show their, their Dungeon Master notes or just see what you're up to? How can, we, how can people find you? Basically, endorse yourself right now, sir. I'm not doing too many things right now. Um, The best way to contact me is on Twitter. I'm at the Sixler. That's T-H-E-S-I-X-L-E-R. I I just, I really love, I'm addicted to uh, Twitter and anything people tweet at me, I'll see. So if, uh, yeah. We're going to go tweet at you right after this too. We actually just talked about that before the podcast. And I didn't, this isn't a question. I didn't say it the entire podcast, but we have to say it. With a name like Crittenden, how could you not be a dungeon master? Like, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that's like made up. I would be so afraid if he was like, he's going to kill us all. (laughs) Got Crit right in the name. All right. I I never thought about that, but I'm going to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) It jumped out at us right away. All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks, Spencer. Oh, thank you. This was so awesome. Awesome. We'll have to have you on again next time. Thanks, Spencer.
Robert Aducci helped serve as community manager for the D&D Adventurers League and has also crafted the Learn to be a Dungeon Master seminar for interested and aspiring DMs at his friendly local gaming shop in Colorado. So welcome to the podcast, Robert. And if I could uh, roll right into the first question, how you were first introduced to D&D, how long have you been playing the game? Well, thanks for having me. Um, so I was first introduced in the uh, late 80s, um, maybe 90, I don't know, something like that. Uh, by uh, The way we first played was actually not um, even a formal role-playing game. It was just people talking, and there was no rules at first. And we just like that. We just thought it was a cool idea, and we kept doing that. And then I learned about D&D, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what we were doing. And um, kept asking my mom to, uh, you know, to, to, to get me the red box and uh eventually she caved and got it and and uh been a gamer ever since um so like i said that was in about 89 or 90 so almost 25 25 years good for you so are you mostly a a player are you mostly a dungeon master i'm gonna kind of guess you're probably more of a dungeon master but do you do you take on both roles ever Uh, i'm pretty much primarily a dm i've i've played a few times um but it, I, it, it's just never the same. It feels like I'm just sitting there because as a DM, I'm normally, you know, always working, always thinking. But as a player, you have a little bit of downtime and it bugs me. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that's kind of what a lot of people like about being a player. <laughs> the things that you list about why you like being a dungeon master are what turns some people off from it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you are also the brainchild behind the seminar that Bart mentioned, Learn to Be a Dungeon huh? Master. Um and this is where aspiring dungeon masters can learn all the tools they needed to become dungeon masters in just four short hours. So, yeah. how on earth did you come up with this, this idea? Um, you know, I had just been, uh, you know, getting ready for all the new Five E stuff coming out. The, um, I knew the starter box was going to be coming out, and so I just grabbed the starter box and uh, kind of read through it and figured that. I knew that the store that I kind of frequent, they, they needed more, more DMs. They really only had, um, I was going to be volunteering to do encounters, or I had been volunteering um, to do encounters, and I knew that I was going to have to stop doing encounters because uh, I had a little boy on the way, and so I knew I was going to need someone to take my spot, and um, I just knew, knew the uh, community in general just needed more DMs, and so... I took the starter set and um, you know just kind of broke it down and made it so that uh, it was kind of easily approachable. Um, not that it's not already. I mean, that's that's the whole point of it. But just made it so you know a lot of people you know are just scared of you know a box and scared of the rules. And so I just was hoping that just kind of talking to people and having other people around that were also sort of apprehensive about starting would kind of make it easier for everybody. You mentioned that you prefer being the dungeon master. How did you teach yourself to be the DM? Um, I wouldn't say I taught myself. I mean, it was all like the group that I was in, we all sort of took turns at it. So it was sort of natural for me to do it. I never had that apprehension. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we just all kind of, we just all fell into it and did it together. So it was never it was never like an adversarial thing of like, oh, I'm only going to be a player. It was like everybody did it. So when you're running your seminars, they're like, what kind of courses, what kind of topics do you cover in the, in the course over these three hours? Like, like where do you start? What's, what's the stuff in the middle? Like, what, what are you teaching these people in the course? Tell us. Sure. Teach us. Yeah. Teach so, us in 20 minutes. We would like yeah. to steal all your seminar <laughs> tips. <laughs> okay. So um, I really just, um, the first thing I did was ask, you know, what experience people had. And some people, you know, had played previous editions, and so they wanted to, to understand the rules and what had changed. Some people had never some people had never DM, but they had played before, so they wanted to know what was sort of behind the behind the screen. Um, and then I've even had a few people that have never DM'd or never played a role playing game. So um, the first thing I did was ask. That way, I could kind of, uh, you know, during the seminar, kind of, you know, make specific points to what people had experienced uh, so they would, you know, understand a little bit better. Um, so I would tell the difference, you know, oh, in first edition, you know, we played this way, but now it's this way. And, um, and maybe explain a little more in detail the things to the people that had never played. Um, but in general, what I did was the first hour was all talking about rules. Um, so we basically went through the starter set almost page by page. 
um, hitting the highlights and uh, just going through the rules. Um, the second, and I was also doing kind of Q and A during it as well. Mm -hmm. um, the second and third hours, uh, we just did. We played and um, we played the first encounter in the starter set, and uh, and maybe I think a little bit further than that. Um, and again, as we played, I would just kind of stop um, and maybe explain why I was doing something. Um, so it wasn't exactly like a regular game because there's a lot of quite a bit of start stop. And then the last hour was um, was just Q and A, just general Q and A, and uh, how to find players. Okay, so what do you tell people for that? How to find players? What are some tips for that? So I think um, the first thing I mentioned was you know find your local game store. I mean I've always run these at game stores, so you know that game store or any other local one um, pointed people to the Wizards um, store locator. Um, which is at locator.wizards.com. And <laughs> nice. he knows some stuff. Yeah, good plug. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, I also have had a lot of really good luck on Reddit and Craigslist and Meetup. Let's see, pen and paper games. I think it's pen and paper games.net or .org, I forget. But all of those, I've found players throughout my years, you know, one way or the other through, through all of those websites. It's a lot easier than back in the day. You'd go into a store and there was a bulletin board with yeah. actual physical three by five note cards <laughs> looking oh, yeah. for a game. Yep, so, yep. I remember one time I printed out a bunch of uh, like little business cards almost, um, but just on paper. But they were like, you know, had the Dark Sun logo because I'm a big Dark Sun geek. So <laughs> had the Dark Sun logo on it and, you know, my, my information. And I went to a game store and I put it in every single Dark Sun book they had. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's I mean, right it may here. not be totally Very. legal, but awesome. Yes, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you got all the permissions required to do that. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've always also found, uh, we used to attend a lot of school and library shows for publishing, and the, a lot of teachers and librarians have always asked to start D&D uh, &D clubs, and they have no idea how to begin to do that. So is that a good avenue that um, potential dungeon masters who come out of your course inspired and ready to, to start up a group, maybe they could talk to local schools or libraries? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like that would be a great place, um, especially with the D&D Adventures League. Um, if you have, um, you know, if you have a, a public location that you can play in, you know, we'll give you materials, we'll give you the D&D the expeditions to run. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Definitely. So you were talking uh, a little bit about new players there. What tips would you give new DMs? Uh, what, what would they absolutely positively have to know sitting down with their table for the first time? Um, I would just say don't be afraid of failing. Like, uh, you know, like most things when, you know, I do a lot of martial arts and stuff like that. So if you're doing a demo or anything like that, if you, you're doing it and you screw up, Chances are other people, unless it's like a really, you know, a really apparent script, like chances are people don't even notice it if it's a mi something minor. So um, same with D&D. &D. Like, yeah, if you if you completely, you know, you know, just have pull some rule out of nowhere, then, yeah, people might notice. But if it's something minor, like using maybe the wrong skill or, or, or you know, using a wrong difficulty class or something like that, like no one's ever going to know that stuff. So just just kind of just. Plug on. Don't worry about it. Plus, if you're wearing your actual martial arts outfit, they're probably not going <laughs> to question you. Black belt on. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you think it's easier for new dungeon masters to play with a group of new players or established players? Hmm. That uh, I could go either way, I guess, because yeah. new players, you know, they they don't have any expectations. Um, so that could be easier that way, but also, um, running with a group of established players, like they could help a new, new DM, you know, um, where he does, he or she does, uh, kind of stumble a little bit. They could, they could help him out there. So it could, could go either way. How does that work in your store or the store that you, uh, you tend to DM at when you do the D and D adventures league? Are there generally the same groups that show up week to week? Are there newcomers that drop in and drop out? Uh, for there's there's a couple of uh, steady DMs and then uh, for players it is um, it's primarily a core mm -hmm. uh, but then you know then we've got lots of players that drop in and out so there's usually one kind of steady group and then if there's more players and then, then that group will split up and one of the 
one of the players turns into a DM usually. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of that, um, so when someone's moving from a player to, to, to a DM, uh, do you have any, I guess I'm going to keep saying, asking if you have any tips. Uh, but yeah, it's DM Appreciation yeah, Month. It's there we go. The I'm really just trying to help all you DMs yes. out there, all right? That's what's going on here. <laughs> uh, no, but like, so when someone's making that transition from player to Dungeon Master, uh, what, what are the things that they need to look out for? Because I, I mean, I did that, but it was so long ago, I can't even remember. Um, but but I, yeah. but at first I, th- I think I attacked it like I was a player and it, things went horribly horribly wrong. Uh, so yeah, what, what tips would you have for those guys? Um, hmm. I would say you know if you're a player and you're used to being a player that you're probably used to you know just having one character and so I would say don't fall in love with your NPCs because <laughs> your players kill them. <laughs> we, and we will. Yeah, we will. Yes. We will kill them. I've noticed that myself as a DM. The, the NPCs that I love the most, that I put the most work into, for whatever reason, the players want to attack them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've also totally. I've also found like, and this is something uh, maybe I learned from Chris uh, Perkins, but like when I make an NPC and like I have I flesh him out a little bit, and then people do something cool with him, and I'm like, well, that guy's suddenly more important. And I was like, okay, he's a main villain now because he got away three times, <laughs> and yeah. these guys really really hate him. Yeah. yeah, there was an NPC in my first D&D game, Lady Lady Aladrin, if I can't remember, but, and she kept popping up, and I hated her guts, because she always sent us off on these <laughs> wild adventures, and like, for once I just wanted to say, just do it yourself, you're so needy, it's just stop <laughs> asking us to do this, and we would come back beaten and battered, and it wasn't ever really worth the fight. So. I take it you you do realize you're, you're an adventurer, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're supposed I to go do yeah. these heroic Eat things. Yeah. yeah, but it was always for her, though. It's always for her. Like, you know, to the, the dungeon master could have came up with another NPC, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> just kept going back to that old well. But anyway, yeah. I digress. Excuse me. So, are, is this seminar that you do, is this tied to your local game shop, or do you just um, have them as support for, for what you do, or how does that work? Uh, I just did it as, um, like I said, because I was going to need to, you know, get a replacement. And um, I really thought that running uh, this kind of seminar would really give me, like, force me to, to know the rules, you know, better than I did through the playtest. Because once, you know, once the starter set came out, it's like, oh, i got to figure out what's, you know, what's different than from the last playtest. So I figured it would let me um, really know the rules really well since I had to teach it. Um, but I've only run it at, at this uh, local game store. I had planned to run it on other ones, but like I said, I had a newborn son, so I really haven't had a lot of time to do things other than what I'm, my regular Dark Sun game. So. Well, it's good that you still get time to fit that in. Yeah. By the uh, way, he yeah. didn't stop. It's like, I just he cut did. back down to my one <laughs> game. Sorry. I love also that you knew you weren't going to have time to do as much DMing, so instead of just, you know, leaving or trying to find someone else on your own, you started an entire seminar yeah. on training new dungeon masters. Because I can tell you, if I had to stop my, my home game because of something like having a kid, I'd be like, all right, so we're not playing unless one of you guys <laughs> wants to DM your own game because yeah. I won't so, be yeah. here. Well, part of it was because uh, I, um, I, that, that store, which is Adventures Quarter in Arvada, Colorado, they, um, they just opened up you know, within the past year and a half or so, uh, two years maybe, and... I started. I started out helping them with their social media and doing their grand opening, and I worked with them for about a year. So they're really good guys. I'm really good friends with the owners and everything. And uh, and so yeah, I couldn't leave them hanging. That's nice of you. Now, how old is your son now? He is uh, eight months now. Oh, okay. So not quite a player yet, but someday. Yeah, no, not quite. But I'm 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 excited for the day. He's a very large miniature. <laughs> He's an NPC. Yeah, a very he, small barbarian. Is he exhibiting any signs that your or personality traits that make you think this kid's going to be a great dungeon master one day? <laughs> um, well, he's very curious about everything, so I guess that that helps. Yeah. So, what do you think are some good traits, or what are good traits? What help? What are Help. traits of a good dungeon master? <laughs> I guess they should mm. be good traits as well. Yeah, we're like we're always talking about when we start on these things. We're always talking about what makes a good dungeon master. Yeah. and I think there's some things that bubble up to the top. But you've probably seen way more dungeon masters than I have at this point. So yeah, what to you? What what makes what makes a good DM? Um, there are so many traits that DMs can have that that make them a good DM, and 
Um, sometimes, you know, like I'm, I don't do voices. Like I know Chris Perkins does voices. Like I don't do voices. So, but that makes a good DM. If you like when I've played in games and the people do voices, I'm like, that's amazing. Um, but there's, there's so many different ones. So like create creativity obviously helps, um, being patient really helps. Um, I think that's what I'm good at. That one might be universal. (laughs) Yeah. Patient might be universal. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, and I don't know, you know, that's kind of funny. Like, it just seems like knowing the rules helps, but it just seems like everything, every part of being a DM, I don't know, is like you have, you have to have a little bit of everything, but you don't have to like be really good at any one thing. Um, So So, yeah, it's a hard question. I think it's about right. Like, like you can, you can have a lot lot of little bits of of these different things. In the end, your your personality is going to come through and the way you DM is going to come through. But like you yeah. know, if if you know how to practice patience, or you know how to prod your players along, or you know yeah. if you know how to get everybody to pay attention to the table, like all these things are, are cool, are cool things to have, and you'll probably pick them up as you do more and more. But um, like like there's always there's always the there's that one that's like like yes and we we always talk about that, which right. you don't necessarily yeah. always have to say yes. Sometimes it's okay to say no. We just don't talk about that a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess I guess you know the best trait or the thing that's going to kind of get you the further is just having a passion, like loving DMing. Cause I know even when I, you know, if I've got a lot of things going on and I know I have to run a game and I, it keeps getting pushed to the side. Sometimes, you know, it kind of becomes a chore if you don't want to be doing it. So, um, so having that passion to kind of continue on, um, is, is probably what I think would probably make, make the best DMs. Are there any uh, tricks that you've picked up from other DMs uh, when you were around the table as a player? Um, yeah, every everything I do. I mean, I didn't I didn't create DMing, so you know, like everything <laughs> I've, I've stolen it's, from uh, from from learning. It's all about begging, uh, borrowing, and stealing. Yes. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, you know, a lot of table management skills that you see people doing. I real I use the. Um, like just having the three by five cards with numbers for um, initiative, so I just pass those out, and then I don't really have to worry about uh, who went where. I just you know start start at the high number and kind of go down counting, and then pass out the cards that way. Um, everybody's got a card in front of them, and I just we know who's next, and everybody know who's ne- knows who's That's next good. at the table. So mm-hmm. yeah, I really I, like that. I one. find a lot of dungeon masters have very creative. Ways they they all have their own way of tracking initiative. The wrong way. Not all. Oh, no, not wrong. Oh, oh you said you said own way, not wrong way. Own way. Yeah. Remember, <laughs> they like, all have the wrong way. Chris of doing Young's it. had had magnet. He had all of our na- character names on magnets, and he would put them on yes. a magnetic board mm-hmm. and just shuffle yeah. them around. Uh-huh. Yeah. But that, this is this is great. Yeah, I, actually, I'm gonna actually steal Robert's method because I, I do the writing on note cards. I I pass out note cards. I have people put their character name below, and then they they write their initiative on it, and then they put the number that they roll later when we do combat. That means you're always shuffling them around. But if I just get like yeah. 25 cards or whatever, and I put a number on each one, and then yeah. I pass yeah. them all out and be like, all right, here you go. And I like knowing yeah. what order everyone else is going to. Yeah. So I usually exactly, only yeah. remember the person who went ahead of me. Yeah. I, I just yep. scream out a name randomly, but that doesn't work. Really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That works too. I also find like since we're talking about like, the little like DM screen ones, like some people will, will fold yes, the cards in half them and put them over the, the DM screen. Yeah, I'm not sure who great. started that, but that was an awesome little little invention for DMs. Yeah, yeah. So if we could turn a little bit to the D and D Adventures League, you also uh, operate as community manager. Could you tell us a little bit about that role? Yeah. So um, you know we're all over Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus. Um, at basically just interacting with fans, um, kind of letting people know what's happening with the Adventures League, uh, you know, when Adventures are coming out, where they're premiering. Um, also working, uh, we try to work with uh, uh, regional coordinators that we've uh, volu- that, we, that we have volunteers um, and local coordinators on a local level, so that people can be. Uh, in contact with us, you know, from stores to conventions, um, and our local coordinators and regional coordinators kind of help them out to get them information. So not only do we kind of help out players and DMs, you know, find find places to play, but also stores and conventions to find DMs and players also. So we've been talking about becoming a new dungeon master, and I'm making an assumption that people knew know what the Adventures League is, which is our organized play program. If you were interested in joining as a new player or even as a new dungeon master, how would 
people go about doing that? Are there avenues open to them? Um, in order to become a player or, or a DM, it's really, really easy. I mean, everything from home play, you know, all the way to conventions um, uh, allow for Adventures League play. So um, as I said before about the, you know, the wizard store locator, you can just, you know, type in um, your zip code or whatever there, get a store. You can call the store, see if they're running um, encounters or expeditions, um, and usually you can go there and uh, and play a game. We also have the Player's Guide, the, the Adventures League Player's Guide, which kind of has a little bit... Um, you know, a little, a few more rules than than the regular player's guide to help people um, get an adventures league and a legal character. Um, then they can play that character, both you know, at home. You can play it at at conventions, um, at a store, anywhere where adventures league uh, games are played. That uh, reminds me of something that always came up from my customer service days. We would always have uh, people who, you know, they didn't weren't necessarily in a big city or, you know, they weren't in a convention town. They didn't necessarily have a big game store. So they would call up and be like, so how do I get my game store to run Dungeons & Dragons? Um, how do I get involved in these, these organized play things? Uh, do you have any tips uh, for those people out there who might have that same question now? Um, sure. We have uh, on our, on the dndadventuresleague.org website, there's a page called Get Involved, and it's got a lot of details for uh, if you're a store, if you're a convention, um, if you're a club, on how to how to get involved, how to get the adventures. Um, so if you're a store, um, you have to sign up to be part of the Wizards Play Network, and um, you'll get access to the Wizards Events Reporter, and that's how they'll schedule games. Um, if you're a convention, you can get games in a couple of ways. The first is to partner with a store. Um, and then the store would schedule the game for the games for you, and then you'll get uh, the cert magic item certs to give away during the games. Um, but if you don't have a store um, near you, uh, so you know if it's a small town that doesn't have a store, they can still um, uh, get Adventures League play by going to. Um, let's see, we've got it on, linked on from our website. I don't know the exact uh, page, but it's. Um, uh, there's a, a page on the Wizards website where you can apply for convention support. And it doesn't have to be strictly a, like a convention. It can be a single-day convention, like a game day. It could also be um, like a club playing in a public place, like a library or coffee shop. That's cool. Um, yeah, and they can get uh, all, all the expedition adventures. Yeah, just a quick plug for the website as well. If you go to the uh, Dungeons & Dragons website, everything should be under playing events. Um, there's a few pages set up for the various Adventures League components. There's D&D Expeditions, Encounters, Epic, and uh, material for Dungeon Masters and players. So uh, either you're on the Adventures League website or if you come to the D&D website, you should find what you need right there. Yeah, and I believe on the yeah. website you can also find links to the D&D Adventures League yes. website and, and their social media stuff too. So Yeah. Absolutely. So do you franchise out your seminars? There we go. Is there any <laughs> way? Can we pay you for your like, seminar? Well, if somebody was in <laughs> upstate New York uh, and wanted to help their store with your seminar, do you, you know, can they take the Robert Aducci four-hour D&D seminar and then teach other you people? No, I haven't really, um, really done a lot with it because to me it seems like, I don't know, it's, it's not – you know, people are like, can I get your notes? And it's like, well, all I did is literally all I did is step through the starter set, ran the first event, ran the first encounter, talked about it, and then had Q&A and tell people how to find a group. Like, that's that's all that's all it was. So when people say, can I get your notes? Like, yeah, you can get my notes, but they're not they're not deep. They're, it's not going to be that exciting. <laughs> you know, like I, anybody can do it, like use the starter set, step through it. That's all it takes, really. Well, which is uh, good to hear that it's at least uh, you know easy to, to get yeah. set up and running a game. I know there's a certain amount of trepidation sometimes for players sure. to make that move behind the screen. Yeah, and for that, I'm going to thank all the you know, the team downstairs plus all the playtesters who like made that possible because they streamlined the rules and they, yeah. they, they really made it, you know, for, for my opinion, again, I've been doing this for a long time, so take it with a grain of salt. I looked at the, the, the new beginner box and I was like, wow, that was, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I really like how... They, you know, even in in the um, in the adventure, they kind of uh, highlight certain parts of the rules, and that really helped me when I was running it because you know it reminded me, okay, let's talk about you know skill checks at this point, or let's talk about saves, and so yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, and for people out there, it's called the starter set. I know I call it the beginner box. I use the words interchangeably. It's not. 
the starter set. <laughs> starter set, yes. Uh, so before we let you go, we are celebrating Dungeon Masters this month. Uh, do you have any tips for players on how they might appreciate their Dungeon Masters? Oh, sure. Um, as, a, as a Dungeon Master, I, I love it when, you know, players bring snacks to, to the game table. Um, always comes up. Go always comes up, yeah, because snacks yes. are always, always good. So let's be, let's uh, be clear. DMs need yeah. to be fed. Mm-hmm. They're too busy they making your adventure to actually stop and eat. Right. So if you exactly. feed them, they're That's, much less cranky. Feed your dungeon yes, masters. Yes. And if I mean, if I'm not, you know, if we're having a marathon session and I'm not eating, it's not going to go well for anyone. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, but also, um, you know, DMs buy a lot of books and miniatures and everything. So, uh, you know. Last night, actually, uh, I had a player give me a miniature, and so that's fantastic. I lo- I loved it. Um, and so, you know, if the players want to pull up and buy an adventure that maybe they're going to play, um, everybody cool. throw in a few dollars. I think that's awesome. Just don't read it ahead of time. Exactly. Right. Here. Here, Mark, a bunch of pages. <laughs> yeah. I, marked, I marked page 42. I want that one. That's what I, that's, that's the item I want when I, when I defeat that encounter. <laughs> yeah. That's great ideas. Well, uh, we thank you for your time, Robert. As we mentioned before, for folks interested in uh, joining the D&D Adventures League, you can go to the Dungeons & Dragons website to look under playing events. And we certainly thank you for helping uh, continue the, the necessary job of uh, educating players who are interested in becoming Dungeon Masters themselves. We need players, we need Dungeon Masters to uh, continue the game. So it's always great when there's more advice and Uh, teaching supplies out there to help encourage people to do so. Yeah, and we hope you feel very, very appreciated this month and every month. We love you. We love you, Robert. (laughs) We love you so much. We love you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks. It's been uh, been great to to be here, um, to be on the official D&D podcast. Amazing. It's very hard to get a response. (laughs) I don't tell everybody I love them when they're on the podcast. He doesn't. He's actually never said that before. It's a big deal. (laughs) He's even (laughs) blushing right now. Uh, My face is just red. (laughs) As always, thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons podcast. You can download the podcast from the D&D website under the media section or subscribe directly from iTunes.